1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
0: Hi guys, so glad you could be here today and happy new year. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about writing your own narrative.
1: Yeah, we went back and forth on how to really define this subject. It feels like it's somewhere between, you know, defining your success for yourself and self-talking your way into loving your own writing. So it's sort of a big topic.
0: Big topic. And yet we have a, we have a phrase for it that we're excited to address. Yes, that. Yes. Um, but first let's get to our week or what we call adventures in screenwriting. Well, and of course this is longer than a week because we um, took the holiday off. Um, so we have not actually seen each other, Lorian, though we text every day uh, for three weeks. <laughs> so how was your, how was your week? How was your holiday? How was your first work of a week back to work?
1: Um, I was all prepared to talk about this week, but then you mentioned that we haven't been doing a show since mid December, and I sort of panicked because I have no memory of <laughs> December, um, you know, because every day feels like a full year. Um, uh, I, this week, um, I've been a little distracted. Uh, things are going on in the world. Uh, I watched a lot of the news, um, but it's interesting on um, Monday. I had a chat with my manager about a script I submitted to him. And uh, I, I'd submitted it, I think, sometime during the break. And I, so I had about a week away from it. And I, uh, before I heard from him, I read it. And I read it as if I was reading someone else's script and they'd paid me to give them notes. So, uh, And I noticed some things that I hadn't noticed before about structure and character. And uh, just from that like sort of outside view, I had some pretty big notes for myself. So when I talked to my manager, you know, he was really excited about it, which was awesome and a relief. And um, before he could even give me notes, I was like, okay, I want to talk about these things. And I brought up all of my notes and uh, together we came up with a strategy about how to address those notes and how to move forward. That was a Monday. Uh, And then I felt really excited about it. Like I'm going to rip this apart. It's going to be undeniable. And then as each day has gone by, it's felt a little more Panicky and insurmountable. But I've given myself some space this week. And what I've noticed is that um, I start thinking about it when I'm doing something else. Like I'm back to exercising regularly. And by regularly, I mean nine days in a row so far. So, you know, I don't need a parade quite yet. But, um, you know, I was writing my my uh, Peloton and sort of zoning out on the instructor. And I started to sort of rearrange the script in my head, like the music was going on and I was pedaling, and just sort of like putting pieces. And you know, when I'm uh, not doing anything that requires me to be thinking about something. So it's, so I am working on it and it feels uh, really good. Uh, and so I am excited about getting in and starting to move the pieces around because I actually love what I have. But there's just too much in the script, right? I think a a lot of things that we do with a pilot, an original pilot, is we tend to cram the whole season into it. I think this script I've written, it feels like episodes two, three, and four, rather than the pilot, which is introducing problem, character, world, relationships, voice. And I'm like, and then this character and this problem. And so uh, it's just too much. And so I have to make some choices and, It's scary and exciting and all that, but sort of, yeah, this week in terms of my writing has been that. It's been a very thin week in terms of me sitting down at my computer. Uh, So none. I've literally not sat down on my computer and typed anything. But I I did do a fun exercise uh, because I've been wanting to start to write a new um, project. And so I wrote down in my notebook everything a a character could want like uh, revenge, a baby, to win a million dollars, to find their family, like just disconnected ideas. I just sort of brainstormed as fast as I could. And uh, as I was writing it, a few ideas sort of resonated with me. So I'd like put a little dot by those. And then I just kept going and just trying to come up with as many things. They were plot things and theme things and emotional themes and I didn't censor. and. It was kind of fun to just write that without uh, rules or expectation about what I was doing. So uh, that was my week. Meg. Oh,
0: that's awesome. That's yeah.
1: awesome. So I, know,
0: it makes me think of that quote. Um, if, you, if the listeners want to go to the Facebook page, I, I put a quote by Ann Patchett about how she starts a novel, which is she doesn't write anything down because she figures if it's sticking in her head, then it's, it's, it's earned its place and that she starts, you know, walking in the city. And by the end of this thinking process, she's in the woods staring at moss on a tree. Like that's how like it, she just wanders. And, uh, you know, it's just such a great thing to remember that in screenwriting too, sometimes there is that mental wandering time where you yes. just need to let it be and let it kind of work out that writing things down and getting things done isn't always the most creative thing to do. And I want to say, didn't your manager say your writing was fantastic?
1: Yes, which is yes. Uh, part of what I want to I talk about today.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Because I just want to acknowledge the word fantastic was used.
1: I will say, I wish I could have spent more time on the bike in that sort of zone, but my butt started to hurt and I couldn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going back to, yes, right, exercise. I'm impressed you're doing it every day. Uh, I cannot do it every day, um, I'm, but I'm older than you, so. Um, my week, like, go to my week. Are you done yes. with your week?
1: How yes. was your week?
0: <laughs> well, my holiday was, I was just put up huge boundaries, which I'm very bad at, uh, which could be a whole other show about how to put up boundaries, because uh, writers must. Um, uh, my, ma- my boundary was I want to rest. And um, what I discovered is that I'm very bad at it. (laughs) I am very, very bad at resting. And I need a lot more practice. I need time to practice resting. And of course, I mean resting as in restoration, right? Like really restoring um, myself and my creativity. And just, you know, that again, that doing nothing sometimes is super important. You know, it's so important just to be in your body right? Because we think writing is all up in your head. And of course it is, but it's also coming from your body. It's also coming from all those signals and emotions and the spiritual part and the physical part. And like you as a writer is a full body job. And we forget that because we get so busy with our to-dos and shoulds and we're up in our head and the body needs to rest, the body needs exercise, the body needs to breathe. I literally was like, I don't even know if I know how to breathe. But <laughs> I, because you know, breathing is how you relax your nervous system, right? And so if you're never fully deeply breathing, you're not relaxing your nervous system. And you can burn out. And now you're not going to be creative at your full capacity because your nervous system is shot. So I literally was like, I maybe need to take a breathing class. (laughs) I always go to classes. I don't know what it is. I love teachers. Um, I guess I can let my brain stop, you know, and just let somebody else tell me for a half hour how to breathe. Um, But I did go back, of course, to to work and writing uh, this week. And in terms of that, um, you know, I also had a little bit of like, Well, I should jump in. It should be Monday. It's a Tuesday. I should be working. I should have now already written many pages. But it takes a while to get back into it um, and just let it steep back in. I also had that wonderful experience of being able to read something or look at something from um, a perspective now because it's been two weeks off and you really do see more things because you don't have oddly those blinders and that kind of gripping of like I, I did this and it has to stay kind of loosens up and you can almost like you said, it's such a great way of saying it, you can be like a stranger reading it. And in that I saw um, really just I that the drive needed more clarity And it needed more drive, it just needed more drive. And there needed to be clarity in that drive, which really just circles back always to what is the character's goal? What is the plan to get that goal? What are the stakes if they don't get it? And what's standing against them? You know, and that in that you then also have to emotionally attach me to all those things. You have to emotionally make me think I want that goal too. And it's super clear and I get it. Unless of course your whole point of writing it is that the goal isn't clear but that's not what we're talking about right now. We can talk about that, it's a different kind of thing. And that I agree with the plan. Like if I already think, well, that plan isn't gonna work. Now I'm not with the character, I'm not doing the. I'm not in the movie, I'm watching the movie which is a different kind of movie experience but if you want your uh, the audience to be in the movie we have to agree with the plan we have to be very nervous and afraid of those stakes even if they're escalating you know that so all of these things s- seem like kind of intellectual kind of definitions of story goal plan stakes and yet what i'm talking about is emotionally attaching to those things and you can't emotionally attach to them if they're not clear if i don't actually understand them right as i'm reading or as i'm in the story so you know, and what that meant was really saying, okay, let, let's let just, I'm going to do a spitball. Let's just do a spitball about the, the, the way we can make what we have work, right? So there's that pot boiling, right? But then you have, I just, you have to do the other pot, which is, okay, eliminate a character. Okay, blow this up. H- how big could we blow it up? Do we have to add something? But it already feels like we have too much so what if we take some stuff out like literally just starting to really really go for it because we're not it's just a conversation we're not doing it right and you know we're super early stages now's the time right so i'm doing that big big stuff so it's scary uh it is scary um you know in outline stage or barf draft this is what you have to do and yet it still can be equally scary And the other little thing I want to talk about my week, which is just a small side thing. I guess it's more in the kind of what it's like to be a writer or human being. Um, You know, and I'm not talking about politics now. I'm just talking about, um, uh, like, life. So, like, when I saw that Biden was now going to have Garland be um, in a position of power, this man who had been refused um during the uh, uh, yeah you know to as obama's no- nomination again not into politics here but it was so interesting because looking at that you're like you never know what's going to happen to you and you have to remember that like you could be a man who gets his life stream refused publicly very close to humiliation like it could feel like that there could be no coming back from that right And yet you never know how the wheel's going to turn. You never know where the universe wants to put you. You never know what's coming next. And sometimes, and I'm not talking about Garland now because I don't know him. I don't, you know, that's politics. But the universe might be dreaming bigger than you are dreaming. Like you might lose the thing that's in your hand that you think that was the big dream. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's a bigger thing. Maybe there's a huge huge potential and possibility out there and I know it's hard in the moment that you lose it or it turns to dust or you fail or all those things Um, but I always am looking for any example of that wheel turning again I'm not saying Garland as a political way I'm just saying it's just the one this week that I was like oh there it is there it is you never know you never know
1: and I agree it was really satisfying to see that again not not because of him or the politics but just wow what a story right like rose here's this great opportunity shut down shut down shut down he but he stayed in it he persevered he didn't quit his job he didn't slink off to the shadows and change his career or his passion or his dream he he kept doing what he knew was his purpose his drive his desire and then this happened and it you know there's more hurdles for him to get through of course of course of course yes but But seeing that was, it felt so, it felt so validating as someone who gets rejected all the time, who wants something so much, and then it doesn't work out and you just feel humiliated and gross and sad and in like that despair, but then you keep going and you don't know what might happen, you know?
0: You know, it's funny, isn't it, that we tell stories so often about people that we meet in act one who are in that place of despair or things haven't worked out and the story is about this re- uh, rejuvenation, this try again, get up, want it hard enough, want it badly enough. What, w- what will you go up against to get it? And yet, when we live it, it's like yeah. this is happening to me, and I. This must yeah. mean that I'm not a and writer, whatever.
1: I'm curious what you think. You know, usually in Act Three, you don't get what you want; you get what you need. There's something bigger and more satisfying and fulfilling at the you at the end of the screenplay right at the end of the movie right and and it's a it's a better place for you right but you have to go through act two to get there
0: yeah consciousness raising that the the evolution of the character is so much deeper and bigger uh, when it's when it's a great story in my opinion um in terms of that consciousness raising in terms of widening the view of the world and themselves so that what they get is like like we said, far bigger than they could have ever imagined in act one because they were, they were blind, they were unconscious, right? And the trick is you have to take me on that journey. And again, I also wanna talk about, and maybe this isn't the show, but I'm watching a lot of the current crop of movies um, uh, and wow, it's a different year. It, it really is not, uh, there's a lot of movies that are um, very much more slice of life a lot of movies that are much more incidental, that are not allowing you inside the character, that are very much about observing the character and staying outside the character. So like movies that I would say this is, again, it's not that they're not giving you character, but they're really, they're never letting you in. She's never talking to you. She's never revealing too much of herself or even the circumstance of what's going on. So for example, The Assistant, Nomad Land has a little is is like this. Um, it feels more like a documentary sometimes with an actor in it, but um, it does, of course, have a great character in it. But uh, it's an observational. You're you're observing this character. Um, never, <clears throat> never, rarely, uh, sometimes, always is watching two girls. You never know the source of this you never know the trauma of it you get one scene for literally two minutes where the trauma comes up and then it goes back down and then it's just um so they're kind of day in the life movies so it's interesting it's a very different than what we're talking about here um and and you know we can have that conversation uh, maybe it would be fun to get a guest who loves those movies I do not uh I don't find them ultimately fulfilling I don't remember them I don't um, as deeply as I do when I'm told a more traditional kind of story. So um, I just wanted to bring that up because there are different kinds of storytelling um, that is equally legitimate and people sometimes, you know, love it, uh, that too. And there's great artistry in doing that as well. Um, I can't tell you how to do it though, because it's not my thing. Um, uh, it's very much a director's uh, medium, that version too. It's really about the director then, um, which is also good um so let's talk about jeff hello jeff happy new
2: year happy new year team it's good to see both of you um i hope you all had a wonderful holiday listening and i want to quickly say i'm guessing mike jones is listening because he says he listens to this show and (laughs) i loved soul i just want to say that was a beautiful beautiful film it's obviously fans of pixar here and mike beautiful work on that movie i think when you all talk about a third act where consciousness is you know, arises to the surface. I think a great third act is the kind of third act where you don't necessarily see it coming, but in retrospect, it was the perfect, most complete and in a way, obvious without being obvious ending that you didn't foresee. I don't I don't think I articulated that very well, but I thought exactly that way about the third act of Soul. It was just perfect. So Mike, beautiful film. Um, hey Mike. Right, let's... Um, talk about you all of course our screenwriting life community uh it's been really fun to see you all active in our facebook group it's i know for me and i'm sure for megan lorian too been a fun way to feel like we can still be a part of the show without having to necessarily go into production so uh, thanks for being so great on that group. Again, if you're not in that group, it's a beautiful place where all of our audience, which is continually growing, asks questions, gives advice, forms writers groups, and there are even professional writers in that group. So it's good to see you all in there. And of course, speaking of our community, we love it when you guys can write us reviews. Uh, we just got a new review from professional writer 72 who says, uh, I'm totally addicted to this podcast. There is a necessity for all writers, no matter what level you're at, Meg and Lorian are funny, insightful, and wise beyond belief. It's like having coffee with a best friend, therapist, and studio executive all at the same time. I look forward to every podcast and have referred at least 10 aspiring writers to the site. Thank you. There's two things I love about this review. One, um, I think you're exactly nailing the tone, which is that we want to feel like we're in the community with you. Um, You know, we're all, no matter what level you're at, we're all writers who are trying to get to that next best page. Um, So I... I'm glad you feel that's kind of the tone we're going for. The second thing I love is that you referred people to the show. If you're loving this podcast and you have other friends who write, it really helps us if you can refer them to the podcast. We're always trying to grow our community. And um, I always say it, but we're a missional show. And our goal is to help as many people as we can with the show. And one way you can help us is by reviewing the podcast. We're very, very close to 200 reviews, which would be a really exciting milestone for us. And when you review the show, it um, actually helps spread the visibility of our show on Apple Podcasts. So the more reviews we have, the more likely it is to pop up in searches and get recommended on other screenwriting shows. And it's also a chance for us to read your amazing, which we love. So please review the show if you haven't. Um, I do know there are more people in the Facebook group than there are reviews, which means some of you love the show, but haven't reviewed it yet, which it would mean a lot if you did. Um, <laughs> But uh, thank you so much as always for listening, for being fans, and we're really excited. We have some exciting plans for this year, and um, stay tuned for more amazingness.
0: You know that could be the title of your book, next best page.
2: Ooh, love! I'm going to trademark that right now.
0: The next best page. (laughs) Because we all we all are, no matter where you are in your writing process, you're always going for that next best page. So I love that. I thought that was genius.
2: Yeah. Oh, well um, I try I'm learning from the best
0: <laughs> you know you don't even have to try Jim. it just comes off you you're the <laughs> a star it's just be <laughs> um, uh, uh,
2: uh,
0: okay topic Laurie yeah. are we at the topic
1: yes so uh, writing your own narrative so um, I have a friend who's a writer she's very talented and prolific and successful and uh, we chat usually by email these days um, and we like to update each other on what we're up to and uh, she always says uh, she always says two things that sort of um, I've had a different reaction to over the years and one thing she says is things usually work out for me. Like she'll tell me, oh, this project is here and you know I'm really excited about it and you know things usually work out for me. And the other thing she does is she is not afraid to praise her own writing and to share with me uh, how other people have praised her writing. And um, uh, before, like, you know, two years ago when I hear this, I think, wow, things usually work out for her. She's so lucky. I, you know, I'm jealous. I, I have a, I had a very sort of negative response to it. Not like I'm mad at her or anything, but, you know, oh, wow, she's so lucky. And then the praising her own writing and sharing other people's praise of her felt so like revolutionary. What is she doing? You know, and recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we were emailing back and forth and I thought, what if I say things usually work out for me? And I look back at my life and I like my life. Yes, things are challenging. Yes, I've had some really dark things happen, and I've been in funks, but things usually do work out for me. Uh, Not in the way I expect sometimes, not in the way I want, but they do. And um, so I thought, okay, what if I sort of adopt this as my own sort of mantra? Things usually work out for me. And um, it has really helped me settle, not just in my writing, but in my life. You know, uh, before the break, you know i had some health insurance stuff to work out and you know everything's closed over the break and i i got really wound up about it because everything was closed and i couldn't work it out until like a week later and then i thought you know what things are going to work out things usually work out for me and it just settled me and i just waited a week until i could call the health person and It did it worked out i was calm i didn't allow that sort of anxiety monster to come and eat my face off like it usually does uh because i just i just you know things are gonna work out and me getting riled up about it is not a valuable use of my energy and um so for me so i i know i have this sort of reputation for being vulnerable for telling the truth for sharing things that maybe other people might not be comfortable sharing um, and it's not that hard for me because I'm just a big blabber mouth and I love to talk about myself. Right. But I think the most vulnerable thing I can do is to say what I'm about to say now. This is really scary, which is I, I'm getting a little, I want to cry. Actually, uh, this is really hard for me, but I am a fantastic writer. Woo. <laughs> yes, you are that's really really hard for me and it reminds me of when i was trying to own that i was a writer way back when way back when i was getting my masters way back when i was a playwright owning that and knowing it and telling other people with certainty that i'm a writer because so much of people believing i was a writer was me telling them i'm a writer right people believed i was a writer having never read me because I was just like, yeah, I'm a writer. And so I feel like there's so much power in, yeah, I'm a fantastic writer. I'm really good at dialogue. I'm really good at character, like owning and knowing what I'm good at and being able to say that with confidence, not just fake it till you make it, but I am a fantastic writer. And again, even saying that out loud, it's really, really hard. Um, And so I really wanted to talk about this as a topic in terms of um, how do we as writers uh, keep going? We talk about that a lot, how important it is to to persevere in our career. Like we were talking about Merrick Garland at the beginning of the show. Like he didn't quit, he didn't stop, he kept going. So how do we do that? How do we stay in the game when it feels like you know, the world just keeps handing us shit sandwiches when we're getting rejected and denied and all these things. So,
0: or our um, own, our own doubt, you know, rising up and eating our face off, as you said, the, the anxiety coming or. Yeah. um, I mean, I,
1: I have this fear and I know I'm not alone in this, um, that my manager one day is going to call me and be like, I'm dropping you. Right. That he's going to figure out that I am terrible, a fraud, trash, right? And I've talked to other writers and they feel similarly that there's this idea that, you know, and this is just run-of-the-mill fraud syndrome. This isn't anything exciting or interesting, right? But if I think to myself, um, things always work out for me and I'm a fantastic writer, let's say he does. Let's say he's like, this isn't working out. You know, you should move on. Then I'm like, but that's okay. I'm gonna find a new rep. I'm a great writer. I write, uh, you know, so i that's how I'm going okay to be able to- It's okay
0: because things fun. generally work out for me and I'm a fantastic writer. And like we said at the top of the show, maybe something bigger and better is coming along and the universe is clearing it out, yes. right? It's just, yes, I love it.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's a little, it's really hard for me because I'm not an optimist. I'm definitely more in the cynical camp and to sort of adopt this as a mantra and a way of being really grinds against my I nat- wish you could
0: all see her face. It's like she's <laughs> sitting on a lemon right now.
1: <laughs> I look like Elvis, right? With my lip curled yeah, up. And so you, yeah.
0: Your lip is curled and you're like, yeah.
1: it's, it really grinds against how I want, how I feel comfortable in the world right? That I feel much more comfortable expecting that boot to come falling out of the sky and kick me in the face. And so I think there's a balance between, yeah, the boot's going to come. The boot is definitely coming, but being able to adjust more quickly when it does rather than letting it bury me.
0: And to know that you'll be okay, even if the boot comes, you, you it, things will work out. Um, and that uh... I, I totally related to this. And when we were emailing and texting about it, you know, I've tried to, as you know, I've tried to incorporate it into my life this week as well. And it really is quite calming and helpful um, for people who, like us, who have the anxiety chatter, already always talking to us. Um, it really does help uh, calm you down. And it's funny, I was mentioning something on a different topic and yet it's the same because I think once you start thinking about something it all starts to swirl around to a friend who also uh, comes from the midwest and he was like well you know if you come from the midwest the worst thing you can do is be proud of yourself and I was like (laughs) oh my god you're so right again nothing against it I love the midwest I'm just saying I'm a midwest girl um I can and, you echo know, that sentiment.
2: As someone who's uh, sitting in the basement of an Ohio cottage, I can 100% echo that sentiment, Meg. So Right, I, like uh, you should I not, not you.
0: be proud. It's very dangerous yeah. to be proud of yourself. And it's, it's kind of looked down upon like, it's arrogance and suddenly narcissism and arrogance and all this stuff starts to turn up, right? When you're proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. suddenly it's like these lists comes. well, you shouldn't be doing that. And you should be doing that. And all the should start rolling in as soon as you start to feel proud of yourself. And he was so great. And he's like, don't you remember that Jerry Seinfeld episode where his girlfriend breaks up with him? And he's like, okay, well, I'm okay. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're not upset. And he's like, well, things just have a way of working out for me and and he said there, and I was like oh my god and how you know all of the other characters in the show go crazy because they're like what are you talking about but it is this kind of other people get a little like what I might have yeah. to punch you in the face for saying that like it, it 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 tweaks everybody I think it goes back to our Puritan roots perhaps or he was also saying about how Grimes on the Simpson is his employee he went to college he worked really hard to get to the nuclear plant and he and Homer just keeps getting Uh, Promoted, and he goes to Homer's house and he's like, Wait a minute, you live in this house? I live like in a studio apartment with my bed next to the stove. Like, and and Homer's just like, Yeah, I don't know. Like, life just works out for me. And it's just like, (laughs) Grimes literally is ready to jump off a cliff, right? And it is trying to shift over to this other river, like this other pool that we can go bathe in. You don't have to always bathe in that my motivation will be beating myself up, that that will somehow make me better. That will somehow make me a better writer. And that will somehow keep me on course. What if for this next week, listeners, we went over to the other pool to bathe in for our motivation, which is things generally work out. Now, of course, Lorian, I think you're still saying you have to be in it. You have to be doing your best, meaning bringing it watching. every day. You're still working. It's not like we're saying again. This might be the Midwestern in me. We're not saying you know put your feet up and no. you know people will come knock on your door. Of course not. It's no. just while, when you're in 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 the swim, right? That 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 this is another way to center yourself,
1: which I, I think, think what, is you're, so great. what you're saying is so critical. And why my friend is so inspiring is she's so prolific. She is sitting down every day and writing and she writes novels and poetry and screenplays. And she has a family and a kid homeschooling, like she's in it just like we all are, right? It's not like she has some magic extra block of time, right? But she's so she's extraordinarily prolific and she's focused and she's doing the work. So like you said, you have to do the work.
0: But it beca- the work becomes more fun or more relaxed because it's going to work out. So you can be more present in the work because the chatter is now not standing between you and the
1: work. It's not desperate. It doesn't feel the desperation and the panic. Yes. Yeah. And here's
0: the thing. I don't even think you have to believe it. Like, it's not I, like, well, I can't do this because I don't believe things will work out for me. And if I look at my life, it hasn't worked out. Okay, but it hasn't, it, like, really go back and look, right? And and don't believe it, but just do it anyways. Just to sit, say that to yourself, right? Yeah. And see if you can, if it can open up, open it all up, right? Because we're talking about patterns of thought, really. We're talking about a mindset and, you know, it, that pattern of thought, Because I just wanted to talk about this because what really, what to me is part of this in in that pattern of thought is that some part of you and I'm, or me, I'll talk about myself, must feel safer in the anxiety. That really truly grasping that things generally work out for you and that you are a fantastic writer feels so dangerous, Lorian, that it brings you to tears and you snarl like Elvis, right? (laughs) Like, that, that there's a safety issue going on, right? And that to help your brain move over to the safety of the other pool, that things generally work out. And that half of this is just catching it, which is like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I just said, I really suck at this and this is gonna fail. And oh my God, he's going to, she's going to. And then wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that true? Is He's not doing that. That is not actually happening. Um, Okay, what I did with my partners, I was like, I just need you to know right now I'm thinking, Oh my god he's so disappointed because i don't have the answer and he was like oh my god i'm thinking the same thing (laughs) i'm thinking i'm thinking she's so disappointed i don't have the answer and then we were just like but you know what we literally said to each other thank you lorian it always works out so let's just have fun and play and do it so it's sometimes it's just catching it and saying to yourself wait a minute is that true because if you can get into the other pool it's gonna break a pattern. And when we break these patterns, especially of what keeps us safe or, you know, which are actually diminishing us, um, what's on the other side of that can be the opposite, which is who would you be if you're safe in this way? Your life can start to get bigger, right? It can, if you're allowed, in other words, like you're loyal to these denigrating views of yourself. There's a loyalty there to that thought pattern because it keeps you safe. And we're just saying, go into the other pool, even if you can't be loyal to it yet, even if you don't believe it yet, just try to take this as a centering uh, of of yourself. And it might bring some stuff up. It's bringing stuff up for me, like, um, you know, forgiveness, right? Uh, Of maybe that you haven't done this or that you don't intuitively do this. Um, it could bring up a, a sense of needing soothing because it feels dangerous, right? I'm trying to change my diet because I do every January. Um, <laughs> I can't even go soothe myself with food. So I'm dealing with that too. You know, It's a loving act, I guess, to yourself uh, to say this to yourself. Yeah. And I really just so admire that, but it's interesting how at doing it this week, it's been calming and opening for me, but then it also started to challenge Um, Well, if that's true, (laughs) (laughs) what about all this other stuff, right?
1: Right. I think what you were saying, it's so interesting when you were talking about how you admitted to your partner about, I don't have the answer. And then he admitted to you the same thing that we give others so much power when that chatter of I'll disappoint them. And my manager is going to dump me. We give them so much power and how this is about writing your own narrative. You know, I, I know that when I first started writing, all my female characters were just moving through the world reacting to everything, right? Because that's how I saw myself. I was reacting. I'd given all of my power. My character, too, gave all her power to everyone else to move the world. And I think in terms of writing your own narrative, you have to own that you have power in your life, that If I am writing my narrative that I am a fantastic writer and what I'm good at and that things work out for me, then I'm in control of my narrative and I have the power. And so that is gonna help me manage how I deal with people and circumstances and situations that aren't working out how I want and expect them to. This feels very powerful to me Uh, Like, I just heard this and figured this out while you were saying this. And we've talked about this so much, how characters are responsive and reactive and they, how do you make a character, uh, you know, active? And I think it's part of this for me, I can't speak to anyone else, but this is what it is. Like a character grasping power, losing power, trying to get that power back. Um, But it is, that is really writing your own narrative is telling the world who you are and then standing in that, you know, it's a struggle. Oh my God, it's so hard. No, it is, and but it is
0: also what we're doing with our characters is very true. Like the way you, you're gonna write your own story. You are, listen, whether you know it or not or can accept it or not, you are writing your own narrative. Right. You are making choices every day. And that is creating the narrative of your life. And you can either let other people write that narrative in terms of what they need and who they want you to be so that they can feel good about themselves or whatever. Right. Or you can, again, keep that center in yourself with your own wants, your own needs, your own desires, your needs, your needs. If you aren't having your base needs met how can you then expect yourself to go be a creative being in the world? Like you will not be sustained. And that's where I have to also look at myself, right? In terms of that restoration. Um, So it is, you are writing your own narrative. So let's be conscious of it and be conscious of what narrative you are writing. Right, and voices might come up that tell you this is incredibly dangerous. Go journal, let those voices come up because hey, you're you're a writer. That's all great fodder, right? Make them a character, put them out there in the world somewhere, name them. What do they look like, right? This thing that's telling you uh, don't be proud of yourself. Okay, wh- what is that thing's name? Is it a person? Is it a thing? What is it wearing? What does it want from you? Why is, is it trying to protect you? Why, what is it thinks gonna happen? Like just be a writer and be curious about it. And again, that starts to help you be a writer, write a narrative and how it applies to actually writing character. I think his, yes, that a character in the beginning often in act one does not believe they're writing their own narrative. And then suddenly a want comes or a problem comes that creates a want. And it is about this shift, this power shift often of, uh, of, of, of where the power sits. Um, again, they don't, aren't aware of that at the beginning, I don't think, um, but you are as the creator um, and that they are creating the narrative. I mean, just think about that for your main character. They have to create the narrative, not everything around them. They chose You you might say, well, the world is creating the narrative. Nope, they chose to be in that world, right? Even if they didn't choose that particular world, they're making choices right now in that world in response to it that tells me who they are versus who the person is sitting next to them that's in the same world. Those choices tell me who your character is and how they respond tells me who they are. Well, that's you too in your life. How you respond to things tells me who you are. You are creating your own narrative. Um, I just think it, it is fascinating. It is fascinating how you can, this one little sentence, Lorian, has really uh, shifted me this week.
1: Well, it's my friend and I don't want to call her out by name because I didn't uh, get her permission to, but she has just, I think she's changed my life with just, she says that thing, but it took me years to figure out what she, what it was and how I could do it. Like all my reaction to her saying this has just more changed so much. It's so interesting. No,
0: I, but the very first time you said it to me, and again, I don't know your friend at all. I don't even know who you're talking about. The very first time you said it to me, I was like, I would punch her in the face. <laughs> 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 like what, what I mean, because that, that's what it felt like inside because it's like, it like you don't humor. get to do that. You don't get to do you? that. Why yeah. do you get to do that? I don't get to do that. Like it's ridiculous what I'm saying, but this is the chatter and the feeling that is coming up is like, wait a minute, I don't get to be proud. It feels so dangerous to me to be proud. It feels so Mm -hmm. dangerous. And yet if you really look at at people who are manifesting very largely in the world, they are proud. I don't mean arrogant. I don't mean narcissistic. I mean, they're they're owning owning their power and that it's okay to say, I'm a good writer. This is what I'm good at and I'm not just a good writer. I'm good at this, right? And I was talking to you learning about that this yeah. week where I was like, I feel very confident and I feel this as a teacher or talking to you guys on the podcast where I'm giving or I'm sharing or I'm trying to help other people. I feel very um, I, feel, I can own it. I know story to help you. I know how to I know tools to bring to you to help you. I feel in my power. Um, and if you said to me, I don't agree with you and that's not how movies work and you're an idiot, I'd be like, okay, that's your opinion. I totally get it. You should have it. It's totally cool. I would have, It would not ping me at all. I'd be like, I, I'm so interested to hear why you think that and what is your movie. Like I doesn't, but I cannot do that in the writing. Like I, in the writing, I'm just like, what do you mean? You don't like the writing. Like it's so self like. Uh, it's in, in, not ensnared right and that's becoming my goal I just want to get closer to that ability to separate it out and be like that's okay it's okay because things will work out and I can I can stand in ownership and pride of of my creativity oh my god even okay. I I get a little like whoa, whoa, inside when I say yeah. that it's about
1: um, Loving it too, right? Loving it before you give it to somebody who gives you either positive or negative feedback, which is, sounds like a death sentence to me, right? Because it's easy for me to love something if I get a lot of positive feedback. Like, oh, you love it? I love it too. Isn't it great? And then I can, then I feel centered and I can be like, okay, well, let's talk about what's not working because we've already established how amazing it is, right? But if I don't get that positive feedback, I still have to love it which is so hard, right? Well, and- what's
0: interesting about that, Lorian, and we can talk about this in another topic because I know that time is taking down, but so often I find myself unconsciously perhaps choosing projects because I think that will bring me something or that would be cool or I, I do have a connection to it, but am I in the right pond? Like, is this what I do? And I'm realizing maybe it's because to really really do what i want to really be in the pond i want of writing if i fail there holy smokes like it feels so much more dangerous to do the kind of writing you love or to take that ownership or to say you're proud like because then to quote unquote fail feels like oh
2: my god
0: right so right. it's like this still kind of shadow artist or 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 just you're sl- you're off of of you know, and you know, I feel like the judgment of saying what I really want to do, which I told you, I sent my managers an email this week saying, happy new year. If the career fairy landed in front of me with her wand, I would say, I want to write a masterpiece theater series. You said it out loud. yay! I said it out loud. (laughs) Listen, they don't even hire American writers. I don't think, but I don't know. That's what I want. That is what I want. And it's so uncool. Is probably the most old lady uncool thing I could. I think it's the coolest day. thing
1: ever. I ate I Richard with a the spoon.
0: I have never said it or gone for it because every time I bring up period or ladies in period, people go, oh, that'll never sell and dust balls. And, you know, people get flat eyed when you try to pitch it because they're like, where's the edge? Where's the thing for the 20 year olds? Where's the, and I'm just like, "Eh, but they don't even watch TV anymore, people. So uh, how about we go, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not even going to make excuses. I'm not going to even try to find what I want in what I, the pool I want to swim in is this, Right. So, I just put it out in the world, and my, my agent's response was so great. He's like, "Well, in a very you you've you've given us a very unique challenge for a very unique new year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meg, I don't mean this to be. This is also really hard to say to people, I think. I don't know how we say it, which is, I'm proud of you. Like without sounding condescending, oh, I don't take it as a condescension, but, not at all. But that's so hard to say too. Like being proud of yourself, also like I'm so proud of you. Like I don't know how to articulate that in a way that doesn't sound like a head right. pack kind of thing. But I am proud of you for saying that on the show out loud, owning it. Like wait
0: a minute, I just said it on the show. <laughs> wait,
1: no, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that. We can cut that. We can cut that later. Yeah, uh, but, I, but I think that's so powerful to sort of own your fears about it and do it anyway yeah even, if it's cool. even that's if it's- a total self-help thing from the 70s right feel the fear and do it anyway
0: <laughs> oh my god I don't remember that I wasn't listed I, I was I wasn't reading that I mean books. I wasn't anyway. alive in the 70s what what are you talking about <laughs> you mean from my me? grandmothers when they were in the 70s? <laughs> um all right well that's the topic we could talk about while. oh yes Jeff go.
2: Oh just, I just am resonating so much with what you both are saying. And I think like Meg, I'm really glad you touched on that, like fear of success element of this because Laurie and I also feel really uncomfortable with pride around my work and compliments about my work, because I think psychologically what's happening is it's actually pushing me closer to that thing I really want. Mm-hmm. And there's something about when you commit to agreeing with someone that your writing is good, you're more scared about the idea of the stakes raising in a way Um but that is so toxic. Like, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, that if you feel just as uncomfortable with compliments about your work as challenging notes about your work, I think it's really important to zero in on why. And I think that's sort of what's happening with me sometimes when I get positive notes about my work is it's pushing me closer to that thing I want. Um, so I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting point. And the other thing I want to quickly say is um, I think a lot of what we're talking about tangentially relates to ideas around shame too and shame in our art and shame about feeling proud. And like, Mm -hmm. if you're feeling some of that, just deep dive on Brené Brown. I know we mention her on the show often, but she has this whole series where she talks about how shame around creativity or shame around creative success metastasizes. Like it actually like a tumor or like a cancer. If we repress, you know, pride around our creativity or we allow shame to kind of fester within us, it'll metastasize and can actually really negatively affect like our mental health and our ability to be productive and love ourselves so i think like you know brene is the queen but if if you haven't really done a deep dive on brene brown i just think a lot of what we're talking about she really articulates well too
0: yeah that's a good point because as you do this work even if you just next week take this this saying uh, into your life you know well things generally work out things usually usually work out for me um stuff might come up and you might need support. You know, I've been texting back and forth with Lorian about it, like as things started to come up. Right. And suddenly I'm, I'm, I literally had a flashback with Lorian where we were talking about this. And I was like, oh my God, this is just like what happened to me when I went to Nick Cage's birthday party. And she was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) I never saw Nick Cage, by the way. It was just a party and people said he was upstairs. I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I want to tell this story really quick. We can cut it if we don't have time, but it's really funny because this is what came up when I started to try to stand in my pride, when I tried to um, say things work out for me. What came up was a memory of standing by the pool and I'm 20 some years old. I'm an assistant at ICM. It's um, the early 90s. And I'm with agents who are my friends who've already been promoted. I don't wanna be an agent, but I'm there to learn. And I didn't wanna go to this party. I was at work and they were like, come on, it's Nick Cage's party and we can go because whatever reason. So we end up by a pool, right? And these girls, these women, 20 something women, beautiful, drop dead gorgeous, totally hip, totally exactly whatever was happening in 1990, whatever you were supposed to be and they are talking about me and pointing at me and they are rolling their eyes and they're oh. making fun of what i'm wearing and i was wearing i'm going to say it cuz this is part of it i was wearing a mustard colored suit which i'm sorry it wasn't completely crazy in 19 whatever 90
1: whatever or uh, lots of mustard colored things okay. in the but they <laughs>
0: thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen And I literally turned to my friend, Chris, and I was like, I have to go. And he was like, what's happening? We're having a great time. And I'm like, I have to go. I have to go right now. And I was going to leave the party. Think about that. I was going to take myself out of a party, which was not only fun, was with my friends, which for work I should stay at. It's freaking Nick Cage's birthday party. I have not met Nick Cage yet, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to cut my power in half, uproot it, because these women who I don't know are making fun of what I'm wearing. Right? And my friend, they, so my friend looks at me, and he goes, Meg, do you know who those women are? And I was like, no. And he's like, those are Heidi Fleiss girls. Do you guys remember who, remember who Heidi Fleiss was? They yes. were prostitutes. Wow. Now I have nothing, I'm not saying anything against prostitutes. Sex but workers are workers, right? Sex workers are workers, no judgment. Sex, yeah. But I don't think they either also had the right to be in judgment of me, right? Everybody's making their choices
1: <laughs> in their <laughs> right. life, what right. they're doing, right? So I, and it just, I mean, essentially totally what you're saying, right. saying is they don't have more power than you do, right? No. It's not like they were, it's somebody not like they
0: were these fancy agents from CAA who could right. ruin my career and now right. blah, blah, blah. They were 20 year old girls making their choices, being yeah. at a party to work, right? And mm-hmm. Suddenly I was like, why am I letting them say I'm leaving this party? And yet this still is clearly a wound because it probably echoes back to other things in my life, like in eighth grade when they made fun of my shoes or whatever. That, you know, it's a part of that I have to, when you do this, these flashbacks might come up of it's almost like your brain saying, very dangerous. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when you felt great at that party and you were having a great time and you felt powerful and slam? Don't you remember the boot? But you have to go back and look at the boot and look at it in a different way and see either how it led you to something better or you gave that boot the power, right? Or it still worked out. It still worked out, right? And because by the way, I wasn't supposed to be an agent. I wasn't right. even I, like I was totally off track, right? I was supposed to be a writer, right? right. So again, what pool are you swimming in? And um, I don't know if we don't have time for that story, we don't have to tell it. But things will it. come up, and I think if you need support, Brene Brown, talk to your friends, talk to the writers in the Facebook group. Everybody's there. Hopefully, everybody will have listened to the podcast. We can jump in, um, and you know, tell us on the Facebook group if you feel yeah. brave what it is that you truly deeply want, or what flashbacks
1: come up when you think things work out for me. The other thing about saying what you want is you never know who's listening, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you want to do a masterpiece show? You know, I want this show that I'm uh, writing to go. I want this to be my show, right? This is what I want. And, um, you know, I want to run a show where every single actor and crew member gets awards for it. That's what I want. Right. I want to, I want to have my show memed.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's such a good beacon. I want my show to be memed. I,
1: that's not mine. I got that from another brilliant <laughs> writer that I've worked with. Uh, but yeah, that's my beacon. I want my show to be memed like Schitt's Creek. Jack, right? what do you want?
2: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you both for saying both of those things, because I want that too. Like Meg, I really want to watch your Masterpiece Theater show. I love <laughs> Masterpiece Theater. I love your writing. Lorian. I want to see your show too. I also want every crew member on your show to win an award. Maybe I can work on that show too. I mean, I don't know. I want an <laughs> award too. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I Let's do it. I, I mentioned on the show before, and it's my turn to try to manifest this. But I'm directing a low budget thing I wrote this summer, and Ooh. I'm going to be teaching a class around it. But thanks to you, Meg, I wrote that proposal and turned it in, and they approved me to teach the class. Ooh, congratulations! You um, wrote it.
0: You wrote it. You made your choice. I You're wanted your narrative.
2: I made my choice. I made my choice thanks to a great community of encouragement, but I want the movie to be really good. I want it to be a pure expression of my voice as a writer. I want it to teach me a ton about filmmaking and I want people to see it and hire me because of it being a sample of who I am as a writer and a filmmaker. So that's what I want. And I'm going to do it.
0: All right. So on the Facebook page, go ahead and tell us what you want. We'd love to hear it. Let us know. I, I, I'm going to put it up. We want to hear. Do you want to read the question, Lorian? You picked it I'll out. I'll
1: read it. Uh, this is from Savan. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, I'm going to read the whole email just because, you know, it makes me feel proud. <laughs> and um, it's really well written. It's
0: really yeah. fun.
1: Yes. So, hey, Meg, Lorian, and Jeff. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for making this podcast. It is just, in all caps, so fucking good. I am a really new writer and your episodes on theme blew my head off. I want, need, more. I suppose I don't have a question as such, but something I would desperately love to hear you talk about is act three and theme. I really struggle with act three and I have a hunch that I'm not quite getting putting the weight where it needs to be. Sending love from Australia. So Meg, I feel like this is, this is your jam. This question yeah. is your jam.
0: And we could, you know, again, we could have an entire series of podcasts on this, but I just wanted to get back to you uh, and answer it uh, even in cursory way, Um, which is, so in the simplest terms, theme, in my opinion, often, no rules, but often, is where the thematic goes from subtext to context. So before in the movie, It has been a subtextual thing that the character and therefore the audience don't really understand or have in their conscious mind. But because of the end of act two, where that thematic, which is really just what the character learns about themselves, the world, it is their change. Your thematic is the character's illuminating evolutionary change. Uh, They learn it at the end of act two, which means the opposite version of the theme dies. That's why, in my opinion, it's called a death moment. That is what's dying. Their old sense of identity and who they were and what they believed about themselves and the world has died, which you set up in act one and made us all believe because we're gonna, otherwise we don't have this catharsis with them, right? This is the trick, people. I'm gonna say it probably 5,000 times just to get it in your brain. You set up in act one, the opposite of your thematic so that we all believe it. And we all want it. So that at the end of act two, when because of act two and all that's happened is shift and prove that wrong and open up a new idea, avenue, conception of the character in the world comes into consciousness at the end of act two. They could now say it. They don't have to, but they could if they had to. And then act three is proving the thematic. The action of act three proves the characters change. I don't, In my opinion, it's not a conversation, it's an action. So it's an action that they could have never taken in act one because of the thematic. So just to use inside out because it's something that people have seen. In act one, joy convinces us and we all believe that sadness is really not good for Riley. She makes her cry in school, all kinds of bad stuff. And then because of her experience with sadness and bing bong and lots of things through act two, at the end of act two, she realizes, oh my God, I was so wrong. It's the opposite. I have actually created the narrative of this. I've created this whole disaster because I would not allow sadness to drive because I believed so firmly that that was a bad thing to do. And I'm realizing at the end of act two, oh my God, sadness isn't dangerous. It actually connects us it actually is what Riley needs. That is the theme of the movie. Her realization, her change is the theme of the movie. And then in act three, she has to make it happen. She's not going back to headquarters and talking about it. She's not making a speech to sadness. She's literally has to do it. So if, if, the, if the beginning of the movie is keep sadness away from these core memories at all cost, because that's the action of the theme. So that's the theme going into behavior. If I believe sadness is desperately bad for Riley, the last thing she can do is touch core memories and become a part of Riley forever. Then what's the opposite? Get her back to headquarters, let her drive, right? And let her change the core memories. Those are the three things she would not do at the beginning. At the beginning, she's talking about, you know, we I looked if there was a place to send sadness out of headquarters, but uh, I can't find any place. She literally says it. I want her out of here. She cannot drive and she cannot touch core memories. So act three is, now that I understand the thematic, sadness connects us, this is what Riley needs. She has to get her back into headquarters. She has to let her drive and she has to let her touch those core memories, which that's when people cry because it's such a profound thematic that these memories of her home will now always be tinged with sadness and that's okay. And it was really important for me in creating that third act that it wasn't just Riley. Now Riley also has a third act. Riley has to do it too. Riley who's been not sad and suppressing it and causing all of this damage in her life with her choices now has to go back and stand in front of her parents and say, you want me to be happy, but I'm not and she has to cry and be sad. And what was super important to me and Pete and everybody was by Riley doing that, by Riley activating the thematic in the third act, her parents are also able to do it. She doesn't just heal herself, she heals her parents. They say, I'm really sad too. I miss this and that's the bonding, right? So the theme actually happens with us in the audience. We actually watch it happen, right? In that action. So the, the theme, the, the act three is an action of the thematic manifesting out in behavior and, and action is what I would say,
1: Ta-da! really beautiful oh, answer, a really beautiful answer, Meg. Yeah, I was gonna okay. say the same thing. So. Oh.
0: Thank you. I will no, be I'm proud of that then. <laughs> I am,
1: you're just kidding. Oh
0: my God. See the boot. Did you see that what just happened? Uh, no, I'll be proud of that. I will just be proud of that. Um, okay. Thank you all for being here with us again. We really appreciate it. Please go to the Facebook page and to all of our, we're having such a great time on the Facebook page. I, I just love the community. It's just so much fun, but do give us a review so that we can get more people and reach more people. This isn't about making money. We're not making any money on this deal. Uh, But we would like to reach more people. So if you're on the Facebook page and you're having a great time, please go to
2: Apple Podcast and
0: give us a review.
1: And remember to keep writing and that you are not alone.
2: Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better join our facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show you can also suggest topics by emailing us there also we'd love for you to drop us a review on apple podcasts even if we don't read your review on air trust me we have read it and not only does it mean the world to us but it helps other people find the show we've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.